0: Good morning, I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. If you're here visiting, uh, we just want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, We are in the book of James, and we are at the very last sermon of a very long series in the book of James. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1013. So today we wrap up this series, we've been here since January, just to let you know where we're going uh, in the next few weeks. The next two weeks, Camper is going to be preaching a, a two-part series from Romans 15 and 16 for us, which he tells me actually boils all of Romans down into sermons, which is pretty good. Um, both services will be six hours long, but we encourage you to be there. And then for the rest of the summer, we're going to be looking at uh, Genesis chapters 1 through 11, talking about the, the creation and all that flows from that and how that sort of sets the trajectory, not only for Scripture, but for us and for our lives. And so we'll be in Genesis the rest of the summer. But now we turn uh, to James in these last couple verses, verses 19 and 20. Let me pray for us and then we'll read. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and come to your word, and we pray right now that you would do what only your spirit can do, which is uh, to uh, drive these words home to our hearts. We pray that you would use this, your word, to us to bring real change, to bring change in perspective, change in heart, change in life, and change of love more and more directed towards you. Only you can do that in us. So we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord and it's given for our good and for His glory. Uh, last night I went back and, and watched parts again of of a movie I'd seen years ago and let me just should back up a minute I, I love I love movies I, I used to watch a lot of them before we had small children um, I found out that last night our DVD player it still works uh, but uh, I, I love movies about rescue. Okay, I love movies, the go getem movies, where, you know, somebody's captured, somebody's lost, and somebody has to go get them. And w- one, of, one of the ones that came to mind, I, I went back to, was the movie Saving Private Ryan, which many of you have seen. Um, this movie, Saving Private Ryan, it opens with this scene of, of, of this, this gentleman walking down this path in a park. And, and I think, though it doesn't say, I think it's actually a, a D-Day memorial in Normandy. And trailing behind him down the path are his wife and his adult son and his spouse and, and their adult uh, children uh, following their father and husband and grandfather. And he, he, he makes his way into the into the park. And he's there amidst just rows and rows of, of crosses everywhere he looks. And he goes and finds this one cross in particular, this one man in particular, and he just breaks down in front of it. And as he cries and as he falls down on the ground, he begins to flash back. And it switches then to the scene of the storming of the beaches and all that was involved in that. You see the horror of battle. And as that scene closes, you you see one soldier face down in the sand. And on the back of his knapsack, you see stenciled in Ryan. And then the scene shifts. You're in a room full of, of women typing, just typing away. In the background, kind of overlaid, you can hear uh, the words of the letters they are typing as they are said by the men, the officers who compose them, Dear Mrs. So-and-so, we regret to inform you. And these just typists, writing the telegrams, are going to go out to tell families of the loss of sons and fathers. And as this is happening, this one woman notices something. You see her pick up this letter, and you see her pick up a letter next to it. She walks over to another desk and rifles through a folder, and she pulls out a third letter, and she goes into the office of her supervisor, and he looks startled, and they they go up the chain of command. And what you find out is that there's this one woman, Ms. Ryan, in a farm in the middle of America somewhere who's about to receive three telegrams that three of her sons have all died uh, in World War II, two of them uh, on the beaches of Normandy and one in the South Pacific one of the officers goes out to deliver this, and in in the process of finding this, they discover that she has a fourth son, her youngest son, James. And James was with the 101st Airborne, and he was, he parachuted in 15 miles behind enemy lines into Normandy and the invasion, and nobody knows where he is. And as the officers talk about this, the senior officer pulls out of his Bible a letter from generations before in his family, and it Reads the letter and it says something like this, you know, Ma'am, we regret to inform you of the death of, uh, of all five of your sons. And I want to commend you for the sacrifice you made for our country. And it goes on in this letter of condolence and it's signed Abraham Lincoln. An officer holding this letter looks at the other officers and says, James Ryan is somewhere in Normandy and we're going to send someone to go get him. He is coming home. And they go on this mission of rescue. Now, James is talking about a mission of rescue as well. He talks about this. He says, in the middle of, or at the end of this book, he comes and he says, when someone is missing, when someone has gone wandering, when someone has lost their way, go get them, go find them, pursue them. He talks about what we're going to see here this morning is a pursuing love of God's people for each other. And he breaks it down for us. We're going to see this morning the need for pursuing love, the beauty of pursuing love, and something about uh, direction as we, together, pursue this kind of love. Okay, first, the need for pursuing love. Look with me in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, he's got this picture of, of life being led as a journey, and there is a truth that we live in light of and follow person who embodies our truth, our God who speaks truth to us, and he pictures this wandering from it, straying off course. We've mentioned several times throughout this series the the, uh, similarities that the book of James has to the book of Proverbs and the way James was steeped in Proverbs, and Proverbs often pictures this, pictures our lives as as a journey along a path. Here, here for example, is one section from Proverbs 4. It says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Here it goes. Ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from all evil. Because life is a path, and it is one that we can wander from. Life is a path for the believer of following God. And James reminds us that sometimes we wander. Now, if you think about times when you've been lost... Um, I've been lost a few times, uh, and a few of those I, I've been lost w- with my wife. But you, you know, when you get lost, it's, it's it's rare that you're that you're reflecting to yourself. We're in the process of getting lost now. We shall now enter the state of lostness. You know, I mean what, you know what happens at some point? You just whether you're driving or you're hiking or something. At some point, you just look around and you go we're lost. (laughs) And I don't know how we got here. And you try to retrace your steps, but it doesn't just unfold for you. It happens subtly. And suddenly you realize you are just so far gone. And there was one time uh, long ago now for us, before Elizabeth and I were married, went to visit my family in Tennessee. And we went out for a hike in the woods behind my family's house. And my parents Sort of pointed us down this trail that goes down to this river, and, and so I, th- I think we found the river, and then we started coming back, and we started to realize we didn 't recognize anything around us, and we suddenly came to the realization of we were just lost. It was elizabeth 's birthday happy birthday <laughs> we 're <laughs> desperately lost. This is going to be a short hike, and now it 's a long hike. We ended up uh, several miles away from our house on a road, had to walk back at that point, utterly exhausted. We're glad we found our way back eventually. But you know what it's like when suddenly you realize you are just lost? James is pointing us to uh, a circumstance in which, and just a condition for us that we can often fall into, of spiritual lostness. He says that it is possible to go spiritually lost, to wander and not know how you got, where you got after that. As he talks about this wandering. He says, there are things that can grab hold of our hearts that pull us away in such a way that we look around one day and realize there was following Jesus, living life in relationship with God, and something, what went wrong? What happened? I found myself in just this dry place. or in a totally different world. Where have I gone? Listen to what Hebrews 3 says about this kind of wandering. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In our wandering, this is often so much what gets a hold of our hearts, the deceitfulness of sin. The deceit of it. There's something that comes in and grabs hold of our lives that speaks lies to us. It tells us there is life and truth, and all the while it's leading us in the wrong direction. If you're like me, maybe you've found out as. You've been confronted by others in the course of your life that, you know, we are often blind to our own issues. We're often blind to our own wandering. Maybe we see them, but we tend to minimize them. Well, that's true of me, but it's really not as serious as you're making it out to be. You have a problem, you blow things out of proportion, right? But Scripture says that sin has this way of of deceiving us. The way we talk about it with our kids... There's a difference between having a hard heart and a soft heart. One of the beautiful things about small children, at least, is that you can can read the state of their heart in an instant because they just took a train and clobbered their sibling over the head with it. Like there's no subtlety about it. We look at our kids and we can tell those days when their hearts are soft. When they're receptive, when they're receptive to the goodness of God, when they're receptive to, the, to their interactions with their parents, when they're receptive to their siblings, and we know those days when their, hearts, when their hearts are hard, and they have sealed themselves off. When we talk to our kids, we say, you know, are, is, your, is your heart soft now? Is it, is it open? Is it open to God, and is it open to others? Or is it like a fist? Is it closed to God, and is it, clo- is it closed to others? And scripture says this is what is so quick to happen to our hearts deceived and hardened. Maybe you can think of times this kind of wandering and hardening for yourself. I remember uh, my freshman year in college after growing up in a, in a great church uh, being a part of a youth group that was um, that, that helped me grow enormously had uh, adults that were a part of that that really invested in my life and I went off to college and there I was on my freshman hall and it, it didn't take too long before I looked around and thought you know I don't know if anybody ever told me this, but I had in the back of my mind, based on everything I'd ever been taught, that people who were not following Jesus deep down were really just miserable and lost. And I looked around and I thought, these guys don't seem miserable. <laughs> they seem like they're having a lot of fun and more fun than I'm having, in, in fact. And that became, began a process for me my freshman year of just looking around going, is all this stuff I grew up believing, is this even true? I mean, does it really have any relevance? Does it work and whatever work might mean? And um, now I will say over my time in college, I I, I learned more of the stories of my friends. It wasn't as simple as maybe it appeared for me in those early days. But I remember just coming home for Thanksgiving break, just really disillusioned. Just thinking, I don't know about all this stuff I've been claiming all this time. So I called up uh, a man who had been a a mentor and a pastor to me. And he said, why don't you come over to my house? and Let's talk. So I went over there. He said, come on, let's, let's go for a walk. And, and we walked and talked. And I, I told him about what I was going through. And I told him about my years so far. And to this day, I, I can't remember anything that he said to me. But I can tell you what he told me and what he showed me. Somehow I walked away from that conversation. I said, you know, there's a man 25 years further down the path than I am following Jesus, working it out taking one faithful step in front of another. And I said, that is a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. As um, slippery as it all seems to me some days, there is a picture of what it means to follow God. It is real. That means I can walk along this path as well. And it just came at this incredibly pivotal point for me. Now... When we look around, it doesn't take long. Every few months we'll open up the newspapers or you'll hear about from a friend about a pastor or a Christian leader who's just fallen into incredible egregious sin. Done things that cause them to lose their ministries and lose their families. Things that maybe make them walk away from the faith itself. And it happens certainly not just to pastors but to any kind of person, but that just sort of highlights, I mean, here you've got these people that uh, are religious professionals, right? You know, I mean, went to seminary, know the Bible, pray, are involved in ministry, seeing God change the lives of people around them. You would think sort of, if well, if anybody's, if anybody's safe from this deal, you would think it would be them. And we look around and realize, no. Because we see even incredible examples like that. And This, um, I've seen it around me as well, this mentor of mine who went on over the next few years as I uh, really trained me and trained others in, in ministry, benefited hugely. I can't imagine what ministry would be like without my interaction with this person. But in the following years, he went on to leave the ministry. Then he went on to leave his wife and his children And I found out most recently went on to just turn his back on Jesus altogether. James says, "Beware, because we can wander." Happens in big and dramatic ways like that. It happens in smaller ways for all of us. We are people who are prone to wander sometimes in life-altering and defining ways, sometimes in the smaller ways where we eventually get shaken back on track, but our hearts are prone to wander. We're going to, I think at the end of the service here, we're going to sing the, the hymn, O oh, Come come Thou found of Every Blessing. Let me read the last stanza to you. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. This hymn is us. Prone to wander. Unless you realize that's true of you, then you're likely to see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, forgiveness for us, is something that came in and changed your life at some uh, decisive moment in the past, but then not now Connect. In this moment, with your great and ongoing need for God's mercy and His love and His intervention, even now. Consequently, maybe your experience is little joy, little warmth of soul that is born from knowing and tasting God's love and provision for you right now. At this moment, in your need, in my need. See, if you don't get this, then the gospel will be good news for you in the past, but it won't have the freshness and the vibrancy the transforming power of good news that you hear and taste and live out every day. Because there's never a place that we somehow magically come to in our spiritual journey and maturity in which we don't constantly have to keep our eyes on Jesus all the time because we are prone to wander. So James tells us that we are a people always in need of this kind of pursuing love, but he goes on and talks about the beauty of pursuing love. All right, now think just for a moment about how, in one way, how shocking and jarring these two verses are compared to everything else that came in the book of James. He, James is one exhortation after another. He starts out, uh, you know, with guns blazing, talking about our trials and our suffering in the very beginning. He never lets up. He says, This is a life full of trial, full of suffering. You must be a people who persevere, hang on, do not walk away from the truth. He goes on and talks uh, about the dangers that we face, the danger of our tongue. He says, you know, it's this, it's this fire among our bodies and it can control you. Don't let it control you. He says, we are people who are so fickle with our hearts. He says, don't spend it on the things of this world in a way that shuts out our primary love for God himself. We were made to know and love him. He said, don't take your eyes off of him. He looks at him and he says, you spiritual adulteresses, how could you turn? How could you even think about turning from your one true love? Because James knows first to last that our life in many ways is a deadly struggle about, against all the things that would drag us away and crush us. One of the reasons this series, I think, has resonated for us as a whole congregation is that we, at various points and in various degrees of severity, we're always people that are under trial. We're always people that feel like we're being put to the test. James tells us to hang on and then, but here's the turn. He gets down to the very end of the letter, and what does he say? In this incredible note of grace and gentleness, he says, everything that I have said so far is true, You must hang on. But this world is hard. Sometimes you are going to wander. Sometimes, he says to the church, there are going to be people around you, friends, brothers, and sisters who wander. Sometimes we don't stand up under the trial. And our hearts are not steadfast. And we don't hold our tongue. We don't guard our hearts. James says, when that happens, and when you see that happening to those around you, go after them. Go after them with this pursuing love, this beautiful pursuing love. When you see someone out there behind enemy lines, seek him out, show him the way home, go after the wandering. And he says we're to do that. It's a picture we get first to last in Scripture because we follow a pursuing God. Our God pursues us. Our God comes on a rescue mission after us. And we get picture after picture of that through the pages of the Bible. Think back to a couple examples in the Old Testament. The book of Hosea, this prophet. God tells Hosea, He says, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And you're going to have a hard marriage. And when she leaves him and is taken back into slavery, He says, I want you to go buy her back. Go after her. Because this is the way I love my erring, wandering people. Go get her. The book of Jonah, the reluctant prophet, right? God tells him to go give this message of uh, call to repentance to Israel's enemies. And Jonah says, no way. And he turns his back on God, pulls out the map. He finds the point furthest away from Nineveh where he's supposed to go. He gets on a ship and he heads there. And what happened? God comes after him. He won't let him go. He sends a storm. He sends a fish. And he takes him where he's supposed to be. Jesus in his parables he tells us the parable of the lost sheep. You remember this one? He says there's this shepherd. He's got 100 sheep. He gets back to the gets back to the ranch at the end of the day, and he counts his sheep, and there's only 99. There is one left. So what does the shepherd do? Yeah, 99 percent's not bad. That's an A plus. What does he say? He says no. He leaves the 99, and he goes after the one lost sheep. Now this. Uh, uh, parable, it's often used, and rightly so, to talk about the way God goes and seeks those who don't know Him. And it's true. But this was one of the shepherd's sheep. It was one of his sheep. He was already a sheep. One of his sheep. And he strayed. And the shepherd goes and finds him. Luke chapter 19, Jesus said this. He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. The picture we have of God who comes and pursues us, we see it most clearly in the person of Jesus. God himself coming in flesh to come and seek and pursue us. To come behind enemy lines to send a rescue mission for us. movie Saving Private Ryan, it tells the story of this rescue mission, the one who heads... Uh, this group of soldiers who are going to go find Private Ryan. His name is Captain John Miller, and he takes these group, this handful of men on this mission through enemy lines on a mission that at least at first they didn't want, and they didn't believe in, but they followed their orders. Jesus comes after us, not on a mission that is assigned to him in his reluctance, but he comes volunteering to come and to find his lost people. You see these soldiers doing this at the risk of, Of their lives. They go in knowing that they might lose their life in order to go find this one man. And Jesus comes behind enemy lines and he says, It's not that I might lose my life. It's not that I'm putting my life at risk. I'm giving my life. It will end in death so that these people might live. Captain John Miller, right near the end of the movie, shot by the enemy on a bridge in France. As he slumps over, Private Ryan comes over to him. Captain Miller whispers these dying words to Private Ryan. He leans in close. As he is dying, giving his life for this man, he says this, Earn this. Earn this. The movie ends with, again, the end of the flashback and the man again standing in front of the grave of Captain Miller And he says, I've tried every day of my life to earn this. His wife comes up and he says, have I been a good man? Asking her, have I earned this? Now, as powerful as that moment is in that movie, here's what we need to hear. Captain Miller giving his life saying, earn this, his final words. But what do we see? We see the one that came to rescue us. We see Jesus On the cross for us, and what were His last words? Not earn this, but it is finished. It's over. The price has been paid. You have now been set free. Free to live in a new life with Christ. Not with this burden of now, go spend your life earning this, but living out of a recognition of what has been done for us. Jesus came to rescue us. So when James tells us to go on this kind of mission for each other, he says, you, in the very act of doing that, you are imaging God. You are showing a picture of what God is like because He comes after us. And so we, like God, go after those who are lost. We pursue others because God has first pursued us. And listen to what he says about the power of what happens there. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He says we actually get to participate in the final salvation of these people. Now, what in the world does that mean? Because there are a couple different questions you might be asking. One might be this. You know, I thought, I thought if somebody comes to faith in Christ, if God grabs hold of them and brings them to life, that they were now secure. That, that, you know, in the way uh, Reformed theologians have termed this, it's, it's the perseverance or the preservation of the saints that when somebody comes to faith, God's going to make sure that they, that they persevere, that they will stay in the faith. That is certainly true, but there, you get more than one perspective in Scripture. Okay, you, we, we read parts of Scripture that tell us about what our salvation looks like from 20,000 feet looking down. Here's where it's going. Here's how God is going to see it faithfully through to the end. But James brings us right down to ground level, right down in the thick of it, where we don't know how anything's going to end up right in the middle of any of our lives. And he says, he says, when you go and call someone back, help lead them back to repentance, he says, you are being a part of God's plan to save that person from death. Because though when we are wandering and lost, we come to that moment where we look around and realize, What happened? There was that moment that just sailed right past us when we started to take a foot in the wrong direction. When we started to wander, even imperceptibly at the time, uh, imperceptibly wandering away. But James says there is a way to be reclaimed, to come back on the right path, and we need someone to help get us there. Another way to say this is that God makes sure that all his saints persevere, but, as one seminary professor said to me in a class, you only persevere ultimately by actually persevering. In the mess of our real lives, we don't look at each other and say, you know what, I'm sure God's going to ultimately bring that person home. What do we do? We say, come back. Where are you going? Another way of thinking about it and the way we participate is, think about it this way, you're at the swimming pool, Your kids are older than mine, so they can swim and you can read a book. I'm desperately looking forward to that day. (laughs) Suddenly you hear hear somebody scream and you you see the lifeguard dive into the pool and there's your child in the deep end. The lifeguard pulls him or her out, gets the water out of their lungs, and they're saved. Now, let me ask you this. Who saved your drowning kid? There's more than one way to answer that question, isn't it? Because in that very moment, you're going to be saying two things. Dear God, thank you for rescuing my child. And you're right. God's goodness. And at the same time, you're going to go up to that lifeguard and say, thank you for rescuing my child. They're both true. God uses instruments to accomplish his purposes. And that's all James is saying to us here. God is the one who rescues, but He says He's inviting us in. He uses us, just like that lifeguard, to step into the lives of others and grab hold and bring them home. He says you can know when you step into those moments you're a part of God's plan to bring ultimate healing and restoration for this person. He calls us into that. That kind of rescue mission. Now, let me just wrap up with just a couple thoughts about direction for, for pursuing love. Just a few thoughts on what does this look like and what do we need to embrace in order to do it well. One thing this clearly, I think, implies for us is that living the Christian life is a community endeavor. It is not just you and Jesus. He calls us into a people, and one of the reasons he does that is because we are people who must stand together. The only way you are going to know that someone is wandering is if you know them. If you're a part of their life. You see which way they are headed. The only way anyone is ever going to be able to step into your life in those crucial moments when you are wandering is if they know you. If they're a part of your life. If our lives are bound up together in such a way that we know what is happening as it happens. It necessitates this sort of close community with each other. Elizabeth told me the story uh, recently of um, her mom is one of four sisters. Elizabeth has these three aunts. Four sisters. Her mom's the youngest they were together for a family gathering a number of months ago. and they went, uh, And they went over to one of the aunt's houses and had dinner. And afterwards, the rest of the sisters got together and said, that meal was terrible. It was horrible. And our sister has never cooked a bad meal in her life. And then the next night, that sister went over and helped one of the other sisters prepare dinner at her house. Afterwards, the sisters got together and talked and said, Did you see what happened tonight? Tonight's meal was bad, and it was her fault. She didn't even salt the chicken. I don't know what that means, but southern women say stuff like that to each other. (laughs) But here's the point. These sisters got together and said, Look, something is terribly wrong with our sister. What is going on? Something is up. They knew her. They knew that the wheels were falling off the bus, and they loved her. I know it's funny. (laughs) But they did. When they they saw that, and when they said that to each other, what they were really saying was, we love our sister and something's wrong. Are we going to be a community such that we know when something is wrong? That we know when we burn the dinner, and we know we haven't salted the chicken? It's only going to come by investing in each other. One of the ways that happens in our church is through being tied to each other in home groups or other ways of being involved here. You've got to know other people and they've got to know you. And here's one way to know if that's happening well for you in your little niche of connections here at the church. What kind of prayer request do you share with those other folks? Lord, help me in this ailment. Lord, help my brother, my sister, my child, my grandchild. They're going through a hard time. Lord, this happened or that happened. All, all good legitimate prayer requests. But how often, in, even in our asking for prayers, do we say, let me let you in. Not just the stuff out there. Let me tell you the stuff that's going on in here. And how ready are people in your small groups to share that with you? Or are we keeping our faith in each other at a comfortable distance? we Are letting each other in? That we might be known in this kind of way. Knowing each other that way is going to be messy. It's the only way we're going to be a part of this great work of bringing the wandering home and being brought home ourselves in our own wandering. And just a couple of things. Wandering has to do about a direction, a trajectory of life. That is becoming more and more off target as people's lives are turning more and more away from their God, in the pursuit of Him, and so we have to be careful. It's not simply a misstep you see in somebody else's life. You know, we're not the sin and wandering police that throw on the lights whenever we see something around us, but an attentiveness to look into, into each other's lives and see: is there something? Is there something going on here? Is there something deep that's happening? that needs to be spoken into. Then lastly, we have to do it humbly, in humility. It comes from a couple things. Knowing that we are all prone to this. We're all prone to wander. Some of us have tasted it in serious ways and seen others bring us back. So humility is needed both for us as we pursue others and for us as we are pursued by others. I remember this one time soon after graduating from college. Uh, several, there were several couples of us that were friends with each other. And the first of these couples to go and get married went and lived in a bigger city than any of the rest of us had lived in before. And as we watched them get married and start to make some choices, several of us started to be concerned. They went and got a new apartment at a price that sounded just astronomical to us. We looked at some of the choices they were making and we came to them and we said, look, what is what is going on? And they said, you know, here, here's, here's what it takes to live in the city. Here's what we're about. Here's what's going on. And we said, okay. And as the years have gone by, we've gone off to live in cities ourselves and realized how naive our expectations of what a good fair rent was. and. We've watched this family as they have faithfully raised their children, as they've gotten tied in their local church, as they've been heavily involved in missions, as they've loved their neighborhoods and their neighbors and their neighbor's kids. And we're just amazed at the ministry that's happened in this family's life. It was just one of those points where we went and said, we think you might be wandering. And we realized they weren't. Because we have to be humble. And we can be wrong. But that relationship was maintained. A relationship of care and of love for each other. But we have to wade into it together. James says, When you see someone wandering, go after them. And for you, if you are wandering, turn around and let someone in. Don't keep going down the path you're going now, come back. Let others put their arms around you, help you walk back to that we might do this together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care about us in our wandering. That you have a soft heart to us, even when we often have a hard heart to you. even here at the end of James, that you exhort us amidst the realities of the difficulties of this life, knowing that there are times when we most certainly fall short, and sometimes in grievous ways, reminding us to be a people that would go after each other in love, in care, to bring each other home. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to call us into community with each other, that we might be the hands and feet of your love in each other's lives. We pray this would be true of us, and we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.